Today's podcast is sponsored by Western Reformed Seminary. Visit wrs.edu and listen for more at the conclusion of today's podcast. Welcome to Mortification of Spin, a casual conversation about things that count, with Carl Truman and Todd Pruitt. Mortification of Spin is a weekly podcast from the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals. Let's join this week's conversation. Welcome to Mortification of Spin. I'm one of the two hosts, Carl Truman, Professor of Biblical and Religious Studies at Grove City College in Western Pennsylvania. And I'm here with my usual co-host, Todd Pruitt, pastor of a PCA church in Harrisonburg, Virginia. Good to have you on the show, Todd. Here's your show. What am I saying? You know, Carl, I'm I uh, I I always I always think of myself as the guy who's on uh, Carl's podcast even though that's, that's how I think of you as well, that's even though I, I think of myself kind of as the glue that keeps this together. Um, I think my labors and my insights are what make us uh, the sort of indispensable resource that we have become. But, oh, yeah. you know, yeah. that's just me and my for wife. The ang- she for the, for the, the disillusioned and slightly grumpy middle-aged guy, exactly. or I have to say the provost at uh, Grove City College, his wife is a listener. Amy, if you're out there, you too. Uh, qualifies middle-aged and grumpy now so fantastic uh, the company you're keeping anyway we have a special guest we have a special guest today Uh, his name is patrick daly he is a manager of sales and marketing at banner of truth Uh, many listeners probably have benefited immensely over the years from banner of truth books i remember when i was a young student uh, banner of truth they were inexpensive beautifully produced hardbacks and always worth reading and Pat is one of the masterminds who's helped uh, uh, the sales of Banner Books in the uh, United States. He's also just. Did, did Carl to- read that right, by the way, Patrick? Mastermind, did he read that right? Was that okay? Yeah, and I need the, uh, the money should be deposited by Zell in my account by the <laughs> evening, Patrick. Uh, he's also uh, next summer going to take up a position as vice president at Greenville Presbyterian Theological Seminary, where, of course, the head honcho is a very good friend. Uh, John Master. So Pat will be heading out to that hotbed of patriarchal, misogynistic, <laughs> goodness knows what, in Carolina, uh, of which we're very, very fond, by the way. We love Greenville. Yep. Yeah, we do. We, we love Greenville, uh, particularly now that John's in charge. Uh, Absolutely. John and is, we've, uh, we've, had, uh, we've had Michael Morales on uh, twice, one of their faculty members who just is a marvelous scholar and has written and- some excellent, excellent books. Patrick's uh, brother-in-law, Bill Van Dudevard, also a friend, oh, is, yes. uh, is heading there to be a professor as well soon. I just so, saw Patrick, that. Well, welcome to the show. Yeah, it's good to be here. Yeah, Bill and I, are, we're taking it over. It's going to be a family-run <laughs> farm by the end of the year, but uh, we got our plans. Uh, it's good to be with you. You know, I wouldn't describe myself as the mastermind behind sales. Um, there are certain things that are easy to sell and certain things that are harder to sell, and good quality banner books are in the easier category. So. Mm-hmm. They can basically sell themselves. You just have to tell people about them. Yeah. Well, here's why. Well, actually, I'm going to come to why I called you a mastermind in a few minutes. But first of all, I wonder if there's, there's, there's a rumor I've heard that I wonder if you could confirm or deny 
I'm told that you were once a very skilled Irish dancer. <laughs> wow. Oh, wow. Or is yeah. that just misinformation put around by the National Partnership? You know, it's, time, <laughs> it's time to tell the world my story, so I better come clean. <laughs> I grew I did grow up uh, doing Irish dancing since I was from the age of four and competed internationally about a dozen times. Used wow. to travel to Ireland three times a year to compete in worlds. Uh, I gave it up right before the end of high school. My parents spent a lot of time and money driving me around uh, North America for different competitions. I was a wow. uh, n- nine-time Canadian champion for my age group. And uh, yes, yeah, I don't pull it out. I don't pull it out unless I need to get <laughs> yeah. to things. Right. And then I, I, uh, I pull those, I use those gifts sparingly. So now, now is Riverdance still up and running? I mean, could, do you have a chance? Do you have a shot maybe to revisit that dream? <laughs> not is any, your stage not name anymore. Michael Fatley? Um, yeah. <laughs> That's right. No, Mike, actually Riverdance is doing the 25th anniversary right now. They're coming, I think in 2022, you can book tickets. I'm not getting paid for that. But uh, <laughs> no, I, there was a point in my career where I did think about going into like dance like for a profession me too i decided i decided not to so wow. i'm sure i'm in a similar company so well, the rumor i heard was true i can't even remember who said that to yeah. me uh, well true, i i i want you to know true. and patrick i want you to remember this i still have not given up my dream of becoming a professional dancer so yeah. you keep that dream alive <laughs> um if 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 things break and i'm really able to uh to make the move to professional dancing um, I will let you all know, and you'll be the first uh, first ones to find out. Yeah, yeah. Send me your videos. Send me some clips. <laughs> if you become a dancer, mate, I'm going to shift to being a post millennial in my eschatology. <laughs> now, the reason I called you a mastermind, Patrick, is that my memory is uh, years ago, you, me, Ben Dalvang at the Westminster Bookstore conspired to get a beautifully produced one volume edition of James Bannerman's Church of Christ with the Latin footnotes translated, produced by Banner. Uh, And to me, that book, it would be my top 10 Christian Mm. books, Mm. my Mm. top one ecclesiology books. And I think you were the man who delivered it as an inexpensive but beautiful book for the American audience. It's a great book. Yeah. Like any any, uh, person who does anything well, there's a big team behind it. So I was just a part of that process. But yes, I do remember working on that. That was a favorite book of mine in seminary, read it cover to cover. And since we've done that promotion, which was years ago now, um, back when you, before you guys became middle-aged and it, <laughs> it was, uh, I, we've gone through several print runs of that since then. So it's, you know, it's out there. People are reading it. Yeah. It's a great, it's an extremely important book. What is, what is your take on the, the state of American Christian publishing? We've never had a Christian publisher. Uh, on this program before, what would what's your take on the state of Christian publishing in America, and then particularly on the the reformed world that that Banner of Truth generally caters to? Yeah, obviously, I'll be most aware with the reformed world. I don't spend a lot of time outside of that circle. Uh, Banner of Truth gets invitations to many places, thankfully, but it's mostly in reformed places that we go. It's mostly reformed customers that we serve, but not exclusively. A book like Value Vision uh, is so broad in its appeal that Christians of all types will read it and it goes into all corners. But I wouldn't say that about most of our books, although we're hopeful that it'll continue to reach Christians everywhere. Uh, I think the state of publishing in the United States in particular is very positive. Uh, We've probably never seen more demand for our books. And when I speak to other reformed Christian publishers, they they share the same testimony. Uh, When COVID hit, a lot of publishers noticed a sizable spike in demand. Uh, it, 
it, there's many reasons that could lead to that. I think partly when COVID hit, um, Amazon stopped selling books because they were so busy selling, you know, toilet paper and other household needs. Mm-hmm. And because of that, Christian said, okay, if I can't get my books delivered for two months on Amazon, where am I going to go? They went looking online for Christian booksellers. So Westminster Books, Reformation Heritage Books, Banner Truth has a, a sizable online presence. Um, other reform publishers were found as well. We got new customers. We've retained those customers. They've enjoyed us buying directly from Christian publishers. That's increased sales. I think partly as well as, uh, you know, the, the church in America is feeling the pinch of culture more than it used to. Mm-hmm. There's two things. You guys will be more familiar with, with this than I am. But uh, people who are on, you know, just loosely associated with Christianity, they said, okay, it's not for me. I don't want to take all this social pressure. But those who are united to Christ recognize, okay, the fight might get harder. I need to be reading better books. Yeah. So at least Banner, I, we've seen more and more people coming up to us asking, what is Calvinism? Who are the Puritans? I've been told I should read this stuff. I've listened to a John Piper sermon, but I want to go deeper. I want to be more connected historically with the Christian faith and, and the confession from uh, years gone by. And so we're seeing just huge growth in, in readership, uh, almost like there's a whole new generation of customers out there who are getting into reform literature. You know, I don't know how much of a litmus test it is from my vantage point about how the church is doing in America, but by seeing the amount of Puritan literature go out, it's very encouraging. So I do think those who are, who are staying in the faith are reading better material and they're getting better equipped and they know the theology better. At least that's my hope. Yeah. So, so the rumors about you all becoming the new publisher for Joel Osteen, that's probably not true. <laughs> No, not until up until they found the the cash behind his toilet. We were really, <laughs> you know, we thought this could maybe work. No, of course not. Um, course hey, not. okay, so so that's interesting to me. So, um, currently, kind of, what what are some of your top titles right now that you're moving the most of? Um, Valley Vision is a perennial bestseller. Uh, Catherine Voss's uh, Child Story Bible. We just did a new edition of that in May. That sold through, you know, by the end of the summer. Uh, we have a new edition of Burkoff Systematic Theology. We sold 900 sets of Manton last summer. Yeah, I mean, wow. we had a big deal on it, but it just just shows you the kind of appetite there is. We're talking right. about like big, yes. big, meaty, reformed books. Yeah. There's another move. There's another movement which I think is a little more popular on the other side of the pond, which is okay. Christians need small, accessible, hundred-page Christian books. Yeah. What we're finding is that people want meatier, heavier, deeper literature. Right. Stuff that excites them, stuff that pushes them, stuff that sanctifies them and stretches yeah. them. So, uh, you know, those books would be a couple. Obviously, the Puritan paperback series is our bread and butter. Right. Uh, there's nothing probably better for someone who's never heard about Banner Truth to get mm-hmm. into than to pick up a Puritan paperback. Right. And we're seeing um, a huge interest in Puritan paperbacks right now. One more thing about like the state of American Christian publishing. I should say I'm just referring to the sales side of it. On the other side of it, I think we obviously we need godly publishers who have good motives and who have good theological distinctives and uh, good theological minds behind uh, content selection. I think that's probably one of the biggest concerns facing Christian publishers Mm. is who's making the decisions about what gets printed and what is driving them. I think that's one of the things I'm so thankful about with Banner of Truth and other like-minded publishers like Banner who really have pastors and theologians 
making those editorial decisions. Yeah. There, are, there are some, even in the reformed pale, who really outsource that decision, or they, they more have sales and marketing guys making those decisions. What, is, what are the demands? What are the needs? Uh, what would really be hot and sell today? Let's, let's talk to this guy who can probably write about that. Let's contract with him. And then let's have, we have this like theological editorial review board that we're going to send stuff to them. If they vet it, if they okay it, then, then we're greenlit and we're go. Yeah. Banner of Truth is very differently than that. It's pastors and theologians getting together, asking the question, what would be the, what would meet the needs of the church? Okay. This is a guy who's writing well, the Lord's blessing his work. You know, he's got a book on this subject. We'll approve it. And then, and then the sales and marketing guys get involved afterwards. Mm-hmm. Those are two very different um, uh, processes. Yeah. And they result in two different kinds of publishing mindsets. And I think the more Christian publishers here in the States and across uh, the pond can think in a more of a ministry, ministry-minded way, we will serve the church better long-term. I mean, you ask these questions like, why, why are these guys getting published? And, and why right. is this book out there? And why should they read this guy on this book? You know, it's, it's part, sometimes it's because of you know, marketing and sales guys who are making the calls on that, who yeah. aren't as theologically connected to the, the you know obviously the ministry and and yeah. the theological process mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. one of the things i've always liked about banner is it's it's a publisher that that knows what it does well if i could put it that way you can't just read banner books you know there are there are theological things that banner doesn't really touch that kind of thing but Banner knows what it does well, and it's continued to do it. It's resisted that temptation to broaden its brief. As I said, I first came across it when I was in college, I think, uh, through friends recommending Martin Lloyd-Jones' series on Romans to me. Uh, And I was struck then that, yeah, this this is a pretty narrow publisher, but everything it publishes seems to be trustworthy and worth reading. And nearly 40 years on, that that seems seems to be the case today. And I would imagine that when Banner first launched, uh, it was not a foregone conclusion that reprinting um, old Puritan works was going to just really catch on and and be a success. I mean, I, I would imagine these guys were taking a kind of a big risk, and you know, basically driven by a hope that the church would would pick these things up and begin benefiting from them again. But yeah, it was certainly it was a conviction that those are the kinds of books that the church needed. And so it was worthwhile doing it, even if it failed. And I mean, many, many people forget, but Banner started Mm -hmm. first with the monthly magazine. The Banner magazine uh, was the first thing we ever did. And we're actually coming up on our 700th issue in the next month. Um, But it started with with that conviction that the way the Lord had blessed these men of old, men like Edwards, Whitfield, um, you know, the Princetonians, looking at the books that they were reading, the Puritans, the Reformers. Thing. These these are the resources that the Lord has used to bless the church in powerful ways. Uh, if we if we could get those in front of people, just with the prayer that the Lord would bless it, then then there might be a ministry here. But there was there was not a lot of confidence in those early days. Confidence in the Lord, but not confidence in the banner. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, sure. the, the story of the banner has been the Lord's mm-hmm. faithfulness to us. Yeah, and and the thing that I I've always liked about banner as well is they they have had a reckless disregard for what is cool. Hold um, up! I mean, hold up. Wait a second! Wait! Wait a second! Wait! Says, hey, <laughs> one second! I'm a mastermind, no, and now I mean, we're not this, cool. Like, you gotta stay in your lane. Well, this is this is what see. This is what's genius is that in in strenuously avoiding any attempt to be cool, Banner ends up being kind of cool. 
If that makes sense, it's kind of like it's kind of like um, going over to a friend's house when you're in high school and their dad, their 50 year old dad is desperately trying to be cool. And you just roll your eyes and say, oh, my goodness. But you've got another uh, friend and you go over to, to their house and their parents just act like great parents. And that's the house where you want to hang out in. And Banner, to me, had had the and maybe it's because of its of its English roots. And there's absolutely right. nothing cool about being from England. And, you know, uh, that just didn't register. I think that was a racist, on, uh, that was a racist on, on their... comment, man. <laughs> I feel very triggered. This is no longer yeah. a safe space for me. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, exactly. But I, I, I've always loved that about the, the um, you know, the ethos of, of, of Banner is almost an obsessive concern with, with the content. Um, They're always cool as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. I mean, what is, what is coolness that's other right, than that's like, right. yeah. purchased authenticity? So I feel like people want something that's authentic and, and that's what cool, people are trying to be cool, trying to look authentic. I do think Banner has been convicted. Like you, you said, Carl, we've stayed in our lane. We know who we are. We know what we love and we're going to promote that. And I, I feel like when people discover a Banner book, they, they think we're honest. You know, we're not, we're not just a business first. We have to sell things to stay alive, but, but we're a ministry. They find the content. Uh, faithful to the scriptures over, you know, all the books they read and they just, they connect with something. Probably the best uh, description of Banner books is, if you don't mind, if I read it to you from Morris Roberts, it was from a, a Banner magazine that he used to be the editor back in the eighties. And this is from a, a, an article in 1988. And I read it and I thought, well, that's the best description of Banner books I've ever read. And I think it kind of speaks to what we're talking about. He says, the best single word to express the effect these books had on one is the word exciting. It was not just that one was informed or challenged or helped or inspired. It was all of these things and something more as well. The excitement they generated in the soul was akin to falling in love. Life became heaven upon earth. One saw visions, one dreamed dreams. One read late into the night and one went back to the Bible with new eyes. One died to the world. One saw God as, a big, as big and desirable. One saw the world as a drop of the bucket. I know that's a, maybe a bit colorful for some, but I, I find that to be an apt description of what people discover when they read a banner book and, and discover this, this, this lineage of godly men that the Lord has raised up and recorded for us to benefit from. The, um, the first book I ever got from banner, it was 1991. I was a youth minister. I was in between college and seminary and I got the six volume Lloyd Jones um, series on Ephesians. And this was a, I got it because somebody had really recommended it to me and I'd never read anything like reading Lloyd Jones. And I op opened up the first volume and saw that he had, I think it's six sermons on the first verse, something like that. But I began to read it and it was, it was not like anything I'd ever read before. And then several years later, I got my first Puritan book and it, and it was a banner title as well. And I got it because I thought, okay, I'd been reading, I had just started reading J.I. Packer for a couple of years. And I said, okay, I've got to do it. I've got to start reading some of these Puritans. And I got um, A Body of Divinity by Thomas Watson, which is his uh, commentary on the confession of faith. And I had that, what, that description you just read, Patrick, was very much what I felt like as I began reading A Body of Divinity by Thomas Watson. It was um, a remarkably important time for me when I took the time to read through that book. And it remains still one of my top 10 favorite books. It's one that I always recommend to people. Um, and, and you get a, a real good um, uh, a sense of, of the priorities of the Puritans and how they wrote when, when you read a guy like Watson. And, and he's, 
and he's rather accessible, even though he's a Puritan, he's rather accessible. But the the zeal, the passion for experimental religion, the zeal for application that these men had, where they every point would have 10 or 12 points of application, is just uh, r- remarkable. And again, just unique from anything else you can read. What out would there. you, I mean, we may have listeners, Patrick, who perish the thought, but have never read a Banner of Truth book. What would you recommend? If I say to you, recommend to our listeners five books that Banner produces that you would say should lie at the heart of, of any Christian's library, what would they be? Oh, great question. Um, and it's hard to imagine anyone, any one of your listeners, so influenced by your recommendations that they would, you know, I would be like, yeah, I'm a different podcast. Because you guys be surely be pushing our books all the time. Um, I think one of, just like, for mortification of spin, one of the you know misnomers would be that you guys are grumpy. Um, one of the misnomers about Puritan <laughs> paperbacks or, or that Puritan writings is that they're inaccessible. Uh, I I I was in a study group with a, a bunch of guys in our church, and we were reading through different books. And we we're reading this book by an author. I won't mention who it was, but a modern book on the Puritans, and it was a bit of a slog. It was good, good content, edifying book, but it was a bit of a slog. After that book, we decided, let's just jump into the Puritans. And we started reading uh, Thomas Watson's Godly Man's Picture. And one of our deacons, godly guy, I mean, he's not, he's not you know, university professor. He's, he's, a, he's, a, he's a faithful uh, deacon, uh, uh, good guy. And he, he was sharing at the next meeting, like, oh, I'm so glad we are reading this. This is so much easier. Uh, and what do you, <clears throat> I think what he was picking up on was that Interesting. You know, guys like Watson, Flavel, Sibs, a number of the Puritans, not all of them, but a number of them, they're direct. They, they write with very um, illustrative mm-hmm. language, which evokes a lot of thinking and uh, meditation. They're pithy, uh, and they kind of get to it. Now, I know they, they get to it a lot, and they will, you know, okay, let's get to it on these 12 points of applications. <laughs> but I don't, they, they're not as intimidating as, as people think. I would not hesitate. I would not hesitate. I know guys would disagree with me on this. I can picture them right now in my mind. And they're in the Christian publishing world. But I would not hesitate to give a Puritan paperback to a new Christian. Uh, I think that the main issue, and Ian Murray's always been strong on this, and I'm just echoing his words here. The main issue for Christians in reading is spiritual hunger. Do they desire to learn? Do they want to learn? If they want to learn, they can read Bannerman. They can read the Puritans. They can read these guys. And when they read them, they're going to like, oh my, this guy, these guys don't waste words. They're not telling you, you know, 12 stories about their lives and then a couple of biblical applications. They're just giving you the Bible right. and they're applying it. And it, they wrote in a way that it's evergreen. Yeah. So it's just as relevant today as it was back then. Anyways, I'm, I'm getting a bit on my soapbox here. Um, so I would say start with the Puritan paperback. A Godly Man's Picture uh, by Thomas Watson is, is usually the place I recommend people to go. Or uh, Richard Sibbs, Bruce Reed. I find Sibs and Watson very accessible, very readable. Mm. I, I have not met a person who came away from Bruce Reed and said, oh, that was a waste of time. Can I yeah. just say that Richard Sibs was master of my college at Cambridge? <laughs> plug for the home yeah, team. Hey, it's your show. You can say whatever you want. <laughs> you got the mic. Um, no, the, and then I would probably recommend a, recommend a biography. I think one of the really neat things about Banner Books is we have these older biographies, and they just open these worlds to you. Uh, a personal favorite of mine is John Payton's autobiography. Uh, you read that book and you wonder, did men like this really live? 
were, were there Christians who had this kind of boldness? And I, I know, and I'm, we're talking to a church history professor here, questions of hagiography will come up and the different intent behind writing church history. But I so love Banner's emphasis on history for the church, history to edify, history to encourage, not to put these men on a pedestal, but to say, look, look what the Lord did through these men. It was the Lord by his spirit who did these wonderful things through Peyton. And he can do the same through Christians today who trust on him and depend on him. So John Payne's autobiography, I mean, I couldn't put the book down when I started reading it. Uh, my wife and I named our third child Peyton after him, P-A-T-O-N. Not Patton, as some have popularized, but I believe are repenting of in number. Um, but John Payton's autobiography is excellent. The Life of Martin Lloyd-Jones, uh, Carl, I know that's a, the, at least the first volume for, for you is uh, seminal and, and, and you've spoken yeah, and about I, it. I bought yeah. the second volume on Honeymoon and read it, much to my wife's disgust, actually. <laughs> but, uh, but I thought, the, I, I would say the first volume, anybody going to the pastorate should read that first volume. Yeah. In fact, you've just inspired me to revisit it. No, I'm not going back into the pastor, by the way, but, but uh, it's hey. the first volume is, is, is profound, profound. Yeah, so, so, and I guess that's a good segue to say really anything by Ian Murray that piques your interest, I'd recommend. I find in his writing a wonderful mix of historical you know, story, um, devotional application. Your conscience will be pricked. Questions will be asked. And then theological instruction. Uh, when Ian writes, he can't help but make theological application through history. So I find it a very edifying history lesson when I read his stuff. Um, Life of Lord Jones, Forgotten Spurgeon would be yes. another good one. Um, and then from there, something devotional, perhaps one of our best devotionals that is not as well known as Valley Vision would be Voices from the Past, which yes. is a daily devotional. Yeah. And it gives you larger sections of Puritan writings. And actually, one of the things that people come to us with around uh, regarding Valley Vision is to say, hey, who wrote these prayers? Why, does, why doesn't it say at the end of each prayer who wrote it? And that's because Arthur Bennett, went, Bennett, when he edited those, he actually amalgamated different parts of mm -hmm. prayers. And we don't actually know whose prayers those are. Yeah. They could be a bit of Sibs, uh, a little bit of Spurgeon, who wasn't historically a Puritan, but a little bit of, um, you know, Flavel, you know, Brooks, or, or whoever it might be. So that sometimes people are a little frustrated. They want to know, because they want to read more of this stuff. They don't know where to go next. One of the neat things about Voice from the Past is that he lists, um, Richard Rushing lists the different uh people that he's referenced. And so you can go back and read more of uh, maybe Samuel Ward or, or Thomas Brooks or Jeremiah Burroughs. And it's a great springboard into deeper, deeper works, but it's also just in and of itself stands alone as a, a very edifying daily devotional. Patrick, if people want to find Banner online, where do they go? Bannertruth.org. There you go. Uh, can't miss it. Yep. Well, man, I, I could talk about this longer and longer because, um, reading uh the puritans and like i said not just the puritans but other books that banner has, has produced like several of the biographies you mentioned um were very important to me when i was a new pastor and they continue to be important to me um they fed me spiritually they they i mean i was a better i became a better preacher because of the books i was reading and so um one of the things i i tell people about the puritans is that um, when I hear Protestants lament that they that Protestantism doesn't have a good um, tradition of of spirituality the way say Roman Catholicism does, I just shake my head and say no. Um, they're called the Puritans, and uh, the the Puritans are 
uh, the best reflection, in my opinion, of biblical spirituality, if you want to call it that, um, that we have. And so we, Protestantism was, has a wonderful tradition of spiritual writing uh, that, that reflects uh, the, the, the biblical understanding of what that means. And I just can't uh, encourage you all enough to begin reading. And I think some of the, the suggestions that Patrick gave are excellent places to start. I also want to, to second what Patrick said about not waiting until someone's been a Christian for 20 years to put a Puritan in their hands. Um, what you said about a godly man's picture by Thomas Watson is absolutely true. Get that to a new believer. Um, and, and they won't wade through 20 stories that a person's telling about his life, but they'll get right to the Bible. And I have found that a lot of new believers, that's exactly what they're hungering for. And so let's, let's be good stewards of the opportunities we have with new and young believers to get them uh, the best stuff in our um, Protestant tradition. So, uh, Patrick, thanks so much uh, for joining us today. Um, I want to say to uh, our listeners, if you would please um, go to our website, mortificationofspin.org, and there um, you'll find a link that we'll provide uh, to the banner's website where you can go on and peruse more works and read about what they are doing and get great descriptions of the books that they are producing. Um, and also, you can register to win a copy of Thomas Watson's A Body of Divinity, um, which is one of my top 10 favorite books. It is excellent. And so you can go there to, to register to win a copy of that. And while you're there, um, you may want to think about making a donation to the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals so that they can continue to provide you with this sort of content. And, uh, and, and Carl and I won't have to be out uh, begging alms in a week or two. Right, Carl? Uh, well, I hope not. Yeah. I hope not. I, I, I caught I caught Carl uh, um, kind of dozing at that point, so I just wanted to wake him up. Uh, but it always always has that effect. On the guitar, <laughs> you know, I like to lull people asleep. My yeah. the dulcet tones of my baritone. Well, listen, kind folks. Of walking sleep apnea as well. <laughs> well, listen, folks. Uh, again, our thanks, to Patrick Daly. Our appreciation to uh, to Banner of Truth. Uh, may their tribe increase, and we look forward to being with you all next time. Thanks. And the drums went boom in the corners. Thanks for listening to Mortification of Spin, a podcast of the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals. For more on topics like this, visit mortificationofspin.org, where you can find other articles by Carl and Todd, browse the archive of past episodes, and make a donation. We'll talk to you next time on Mortification of Spin. For me, I mean, I started reading Puritans because I was reading J.I. Packer. And I remember so, the very first thing, yeah, the very first thing I picked up was, I think, A Body of Divinity by Thomas Watson. Yeah, yeah. So, Body of Divinity I'm, by Watson is quite a common entry point, actually. Mm -hmm. And good. I think to this day, he's still my my favorite Puritan to read. Probably mm -hmm. pictures as well. Were the pictures uh, in the book? Too? There's got to be. There's. I want I want Banner to make more like picture books, pop-up books, maybe a pop-up Thomas right. Watson, something like that. So. It sounds like you guys are ready for the show. I mean, I should be asking <laughs> you the question. <laughs>
Western Reformed Seminary, now located in Puyallup, Washington, is a Bible-believing Presbyterian seminary endorsed by the Bible Presbyterian Church. Their mission is to prepare church leaders who are spiritually grounded, knowledgeable, capable, and dedicated through solid theological training. Degree programs include the Masters of Divinity, academic degrees such as Masters of Biblical or Theological Studies, as well as the Masters of Church Ministry, with an emphasis in Biblical Counseling, Missions, or Church Ministry. Non-degree students at Western Reform Seminary may take any class as a standalone for credit or audit. Although residency classes offer the best learning environment, Western Reform Seminary offers interactive synchronous classes for students unable to attend in person, as well as concentrated classes in January and May every year. The spring semester begins on January 24th. For more information, visit wrs.edu or email registrar at wrs.edu. Western Reformed Seminary.